evening. Happy Monday to everyone, and welcome to the Theology Mom podcast. We are hurtling ever closer to Christmas, and I am looking forward to bringing you this teaching tonight. Uh, I want to let you know that this is going to be a three-part series, a conversation that I did with my friend Aaron Kunkel at Maven Ministry, and we'll be talking and introducing you to them as well as going through the story of Mary. You know, often um, I think Protestants are, we don't really know what to do with Mary. <laughs> you know, we have all these Bible studies on on Ruth and and Rahab and looking at them as, as great hero, women heroes of the faith. But Mary is a little bit more complicated for us. And I think that sometimes, um, you know, our Catholic and Orthodox friends do more to um, really honor Mary, but their veneration to Mary and, and asking for intercession with her makes us nervous as Protestants. And so then we kind of don't want to talk about her. But Aaron and I wanted to do just a deep dive into the life and discipleship of Mary, because the New Testament has surprisingly a lot to say about Mary. And this turned out to be a longer conversation, so I'm going to break it down into three parts. I really hope it blesses and inspires you over the holidays. I love bringing Christmas content to you. And just in case you missed last week's live stream, make sure you go back and watch the stream I did on the archaeology of Christmas. It's also available on the podcast platforms. But if you catch the video, there's some cool graphics and, and visuals in there as well. So don't miss out on that. All right, we're going to have a couple of updates too throughout this stream tonight. I really hope you enjoy this. We're going to um, kick it off here with just a little discussion about Mary as a social justice warrior. <laughs> this article from a few years ago caught my attention uh, all the way back in 2018. And I was thinking about it as Aaron was presenting and, and we were talking about Mary and went back in the archives, found the article. This is called Mary's Magnificat in the Bible is Revolutionary. Some evangelicals silence her. And then there's this piece of art here by, by an artist. It says, cast down the mighty, send the rich away, fill the hungry, lift the lowly. And there we see Mary uh, raising her fist in solidarity and crushing the snake. There's so much iconic imagery here. We could break this all down, but it really is the idea of Mary as a social justice warrior based on a couple of statements in what we call the Magnificat in Luke chapter two. But this is indicative of how our culture is trying to reimagine Mary. And I think that you're going to really enjoy my discussion with Aaron about just a, a, a deep dive into the Bible um, looking at Mary in her context and as a disciple of Jesus. So here we go with part one of my conversation with Aaron Kunkel from Maven Ministries. Here we go. 
Hey, I'm happy to be here with my friend Aaron Kunkel from Maven, and this is going to be a great conversation I'm looking forward to as we look at Mary as a disciple of Jesus as we're coming up to Christmas time. Aaron, why don't you uh, kind of give us the one-minute introduction of you and uh, Maven and what you do there? Okay. Um, well, my husband and I started Maven about five years ago. Um, but story of me is quick story of me is I, I grew up in the church, uh, grew up in a Christian home, but wasn't a Christian myself and pretty much didn't care about Christianity or God or anything else. Kind of went to church on Sunday with my family, lived my life the rest of the week. And then my senior year of high school, a few months before graduation, I found out I was pregnant and a friend told me about his connected me with the lady who ran the teen mom program at their church. I ended up going to that church, getting saved there. And then the next year, transferring to Biola University. And as a single mom, uh, my daughter Lexi was almost one when I started at Biola. So that those four years at Biola were a big time of growth for me. And I learned so much about God and about the Christian faith and the Bible. And that's also actually where I met my husband. And so he was a youth pastor at that time and we started dating and then we got married. So now I am in youth ministry and I loved being in youth ministry with my husband Um mostly because I remembered how I was in those years and how pivotal those years are. And so from the beginning of our marriage, we have always loved young people, loved ministry to young people and stayed in church ministry for a while. Then Brett came on at Stand to Reason with Greg Kokel and all the guys there. And then five years ago, we started an organization called Maven. And Maven is a youth-focused organization. Again, our heart is for young people, especially young people in the church. And so we started Maven with still keeping the focus on youth, but also with those who are discipling and in the lives of young people. So parents, grandparents, teachers, youth pastors, pastors, Sunday school teachers, anyone who's pouring into young people. And our heart at Maven is for young people to know truth, to pursue goodness and create beauty all for the cause of Christ. But that's kind of in a nutshell uh, what we do at Maven. That's awesome. And you're also the mother of five children. And I am. A homeschool mom. I'm, yes, I've been a homeschool mom for about 15 years. We have five kids. I forgot to mention that as as part of the story, I was a single mom. And then when Brett and I got married, we had four more kids. And actually, um, I'm a grandmother too. My daughter Lexi's married and has two little girls and she's pregnant with number three. So I'm a mother and a grandmother now. So <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. And um, you and I have been getting to know each other the last year. We've been attending the same church together. And yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I think last week you you shared kind of a little Bible study that you had done on Mary in church. And I thought, oh, this is just so, so wonderful. I thought it would be fun 
to share it on my podcast um, with people and just as a way to introduce you to them as well as well as just go over this really great study. This isn't going to be like some big academic conversation. This is just two friends, uh, two mm -hmm. Christian sisters sitting around with the Bible and um, talking about looking in scripture and seeing seeing what we find. And yeah. I think it's a wonderful example to others of of community and how we can come together and study the Bible together. Yes. Yeah, which I, I obviously look up to you for your study in theology. And I I do see myself as just an ordinary church girl, I guess. Uh, an ordinary person who loves God and but takes my study of theology seriously. And this study of Mary was prompted by an invitation I got to teach on Mary at a, a women's event at a local church. And it's it's funny how things go that just things, topics or issues come up in your life. And and so I thought, I'm going to really study Mary. And so it's been for me, a really good in-depth study for months on mostly focusing on the Gospels, of course, because that's where we learned so much yeah. about her. But anyway, so I was excited to talk more about her with you because I, I think it, it it's interesting to study this, this woman, Mary, the mother of Jesus. A lot of evangelicals, we haven't done much study on her. Yeah. And, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, we know about Mary. But I think that one of the great statements I heard you make, and, and I think this is, we're going to watch this unfold as we go through the scriptures, is just really how much material there is on Mary in the Gospels. There really is a lot. And um, just to take a few minutes to stop and reflect on that. So um, let's just get into it. Um, you know, where does in, in your study, like, where does the story of Mary come to us? Like, how are we introduced to her? What's kind of the first scene that we see? Yeah, so so our first introduction to Mary is the Annunciation. And so that that's really where we get to meet Mary for the first time when the angel Gabriel visits Mary. And we actually learn a lot from this interaction. We learn she's living in a small town of, that's of little significance and that she is really someone of no significance. She's not someone who has any kind of power or authority or prestige. And the angel Gabriel, though, says to her that she is favored by God and I'm going to look at it too while you pull that up. Yeah. She's favored by God and that God is with her. And so this really ordinary woman is chosen by God. So we learn that about her, that she's just of these humble circumstances. And yet God sees her and chooses her. And Gabriel tells her that she will carry and give birth to the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. Yeah, I'm just going to highlight a few things here as, as yeah. you're talking because I want people to see it in in the text. You know that all these little details about her being from Nazareth. I'll highlight that because you mentioned it and mm -hmm. being pledged to be married. She's highly favored. The Lord is with her, um, and I think it's also interesting that 
he the angel tells her right up front that he's going to have the throne of David. I mean, I'm sure that that, that must have gotten her attention. Well, yeah, and and we'll we'll unpack her story more, but she would have known exactly what he was referring to as well. We we learn about Mary. She was a, a she was a good Jewish girl, and Mary knew her theology and she knew her scriptures. So when he when Gabriel talks about the throne of her father David, maybe a modern evangelical would say, well, "What does that mean?" Mary would have known exactly what Gabriel was saying. This is who they. This is who the Jews have been waiting for. This yeah. is the long promised Messiah. Well, that's a great point. And um, that his kingdom will never end. So she knows right out of the gate, like she's from the line of David, because it says up here, we didn't even mention that Joseph was a descendant of David, you know, as well. And and so there's this, this kingly line she would have known about and it is now she's going to become part of that kingly line yeah i i mean just incredible news it must have been i can't even imagine how overwhelming well first of all of course every time an angel appears to someone they have to say don't be afraid right. because it's a terrifying experience um, I'm assuming I've never had that experience, but that's always how they greet people. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So it must be terrifying. Um, but then, yeah, to get this news and to to realize that this is the promised Messiah from the line of David and, and Mary's question, and we probably won't go into it, but you know, that earlier in the book of Luke or, or in Matthew, we, we learn about the story of the angel visiting Zechariah and the difference between Zechariah's response to the angel and Mary's. But Mary's response is she takes it in, but then says, but how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. Right. And so she's just kind of questioning, OK, how could this actually happen? And apparently it wasn't taken as a rejection of what God was saying or that she didn't want to do it, but just how, how will this be? And, and so then the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the Holy One. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And yeah. then... In, in in that response, too, is when Gabriel says to Mary that there's evidence that what he's saying is, is true and is going to happen. And he tells her that her cousin Elizabeth, even though she is old and has been childless her entire marriage, that she is at that very moment pregnant hmm. and that that that. And that that will be assigned to Mary. Yeah. And so in Mary's questioning of how this could be, Gabriel assured, tells her how it's going to happen and then says, and here's some evidence right. that what I'm saying is true. Well, let's just scroll back a little bit to Zechariah's response because it happens just earlier in Luke chapter mm. chapter 1. Um yeah, he I says, think I said Matthew, but yes, it's in Luke. Yeah. Sorry. We actually just read this this morning for our family devotions. We read this 
Oh, did you? Um, so it was fresh in my mind. They're like, oh, that's in the yeah. same chapter. Yeah. Um, yes. But he he was Zechariah saw the angel and was startled and, and gripped with fear. So, like you said, seeing an angel is a <laughs> is a scary, scary sight. And the angel says, Don't be afraid. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. But then Zechariah's response. The very similar response to, to Mary's response. How can I be sure of this? And but there must have been some doubt there or something that God wanted to teach him, because then the angel's response is to make him uh, to hinder his speech until John is born. Like, mm -hmm. That's a pretty, pretty big consequence. So. Yeah. And and. And I'm not a scholar in all of this, but from what I've read and studied on that and different scholars um, explaining that, it, the difference was that Zachariah was, was saying, how am I, I going to know this is true? Basically, how do, I, how do I know that I can trust what you're saying? Yeah. And that is an offense to Gabriel, who's appeared to him. Now, this scene that you're talking about, this is in the Holy of Holies. This is in the temple. Right. And I, it must have offended Gabriel because Gabriel got angry. <laughs> it makes me and, wonder if maybe the issue was like, you should almost know better. Like you have a PhD, you, you should yeah. know better. But, but the lowly and humble Mary, like she's not educated. And, and so there's a little bit more leeway there. I don't know. I mean, there's nothing in the text that tells us why the angel responded so differently when the questions mm -hmm. were fairly similar, but were well, kind yeah. of left to think there must have been a heart posture here that that was in play. So yeah, there's there seems obviously there was a difference in Mary asking her question and Zachariah's in and, and and yeah, so there's there's debate within interpretations of it and and why the response was different but mary's response is one a, after gabriel says you know this is what's going to happen the holy spirit is going to come on to you and then her response after that and let me let me find it because i turned to zachariah's story um her response then is behold i am a servant of the lord let it be to me according to your word. And so it's just complete submission to what Gabriel said, to what God wants to do through her. And she submits to it. And I think it's yeah, a humble response. That's so good. And 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 um before we leave Luke chapter one, I wanna and go on to the next scene. I want to show our friends really quickly here. I'm going to scroll up to the beginning of Luke chapter one, because there's a very important kind of contextual thing of um, that Luke is putting together, you know, this, this account of events that were handed down from the first eyewitnesses and that he carefully investigated everything. Given what the details are surrounding the birth of Jesus these statements make me wonder if maybe Mary was one of those first eyewitnesses. Yeah, well, that's as I've studied this, that's that's what I found that that scholars think 
that Mary most certainly was one of Luke's eyewitnesses. We know, fast forward to Jesus being crucified on the cross, he asked his disciple John to treat Mary as his mother now, now that Jesus is is going to die. He he gives his mother to John and, and then says, Mother, you know, consider John your son. And so we know John would have taken that seriously. And so Mary would have been with John at the beginning of the church. We know that, I mean, we might talk about this later. Yeah, we're going we to know these scriptures. Yeah. Yeah, we know those different scenes yeah. where Mary is actually there. And we know she was in the upper room. So she was a part of the early church. And so... Although we don't know the circumstance, did Luke sit down with her for a week and hear all the stories? We don't know. But Luke in particular, yes, talks about how he wanted to make a careful account. And so he visited with eyewitnesses and got their stories. And it seems that Mary was definitely one of those sources. And as we talk about her story, he has insight into Mary's thoughts. Now, yeah, how could he yeah, have gotten yeah. that insight without talking to Mary? There's several, there's a couple times in particular where it says, and Mary treasured these things in her heart. Well, how did Luke know that? He yeah. must have talked to Mary. Yeah, that's good. And I think um, this also provides good modeling for people who are watching. Like they, they might think like, I don't know how to study the Bible. I can't do it myself. But Look at all that we got just by looking at the context, you know, mm -hmm. seeing the similarities between Zechariah's response and Mary's response, noticing the context of the opening verses there in Luke chapter one. And we're going to start noticing things in the account. They're like, oh, maybe this is a clue of, of what's happening, that maybe Mary was one of the, the sources for Luke. And these are things that anybody can do. You know, these yeah. are observations that that anybody can look in scripture if we're just paying attention to the details and we have a little bit of patience and we look back and forth in the context that, that we can we can come up with. So yeah. I okay, think I, I think you're right. I think that's a good good encouragement. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go on to the next scene here. And okay. we're gonna where where do we catch up with Mary next? Well, so yeah, that scene with Gabriel is, is kind of a short scene, but we did get a lot from it. But then it, it moves. We know that uh, after that, it just says in those days, Mary arose. So we don't know how long after her visit with Gabriel. So it's right afterwards in the context. We're still in Luke chapter one. Right. And okay. it does say that um, she went with haste. So but that she traveled to where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived. And yeah. I talked about in, in my, in our study that we did on Sunday, just the, the length of miles that that trip would have been. And this is where in my study of Mary too, because there's always been this conversation about Mary. How young was she? We know she was young because she was engaged to be married. And so that, you know, a, a young Israeli girl at an engagement time. So we, you know, we guess things about Mary this way. We don't know how old she was, but some people have said, oh, she was as young as 13 or 14. 
But when scholars look at this detail of her traveling to visit Elizabeth, they know that this journey would have been, you know, 80 miles. And so a 13 and 14 year old wouldn't have been able to do a journey like that alone. And so just that little insight is, oh, okay, so she probably was more like 16, 17. Again, we don't know, and I'm not sure right. it matters a, a lot, but we know she made this long journey to go visit her cousin, which I think is interesting because I think she wanted to see, okay, the angel told me this, that I'm, gonna, that I'm pregnant, that I'm gonna carry the Messiah. And he gave me this detail about my cousin, so yeah. I'm going to go see if that's true. I, I'm so I've got I'm just going to cool go map. check it out. Yeah, oh, yeah. I've, got this, I've got this map here. I'm going to make it a little smaller so we can see. So Mary is up in the north. We learned earlier in the chapter she's up in Nazareth. Mm -hmm. But here is the common, kind of the common road that she would have taken, gone over by the, the Jordan River, cutting over through Jericho, and then coming to the hill country of Judea. And so, you know, when we see this, that that's a fair journey. And so, you know, that causes scholars to think like, you know, maybe she, <laughs> that she was a little older than 13. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and even, you know, in my reading about that, it was interesting just to learn about that time period, how people traveled and that this, this path, I love that you pulled the map up this would have been frequented. It's not like Mary would have just been alone on these roads, yeah. but we don't get any indication that she had family travel with her. So, but there would have been lots of people taking this route. And so anyways, it, it's just an interesting fact, I think to, to think about. And like you said, when you go slowly through this, it's, it's so fascinating all the things you can learn. So, yeah. Mary walks in to her cousin. We assume unannounced you, that Elizabeth didn't know she was coming. And, but when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps. And then it says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what's the result of her being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, this is what she says. With a loud cry, she says to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So Elizabeth immediately knows Mary is pregnant. And that this pregnancy is no average pregnancy. And then Elizabeth goes on to say, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me for behold when the sound of your greeting came to my ears the baby in my womb leapt for leapt for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the lord so elizabeth has all this knowledge from the holy spirit just in that last part that she believed that mary believed that what God said would be fulfilled. And that's why she came, traveled all that way to Elizabeth. And of course that Elizabeth knows who this unborn baby in Mary is. There's so much here. I, I heard years ago, I never thought of it, for example, that this is a, 
an argument for the pro-life position. First of all, that these two babies in the womb have this interaction where just the presence of Jesus in Elizabeth in John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, that's who we know is is who Elizabeth is carrying, that they have this that John the Baptist has this reaction to the presence of Jesus, even in his mother's womb. So life in the womb is actually life. These are souls alive and responding to things. And anyways, there's so much here yeah. in this passage, but but um, we gain insight in into Elizabeth, her relationship with the Lord, and then just the assurance that Mary must have felt just walking in, hasn't told anybody that she's pregnant and Elizabeth knows and Elizabeth knows who it is. Yeah. And, and another detail that I noticed this morning when we were reading through it as a family is mm -hmm. that um, just the statement that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I did a, a search recently and all I did was use Bible Gateway. I didn't do anything. There were no fancy magic tricks that I did, but I just did a study on um, mentions of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, just to try to see like the frequency of, you know, where was the Holy Spirit before Acts 2, you know? And I was surprised at how many mentions there are in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit, but that many of them are focused on prophets and empowering mm. prophets. And there's a couple of mentions of empowering kings, um, such as Saul and David. But um, this made me think, like, here we have two women. Um, one is barren and one's a virgin. So two unlikely pregnancies. We have one from the line of the priesthood, um, the Levitical priesthood through both Elizabeth and Zechariah. And we have an unlikely pregnancy through the line of David, a kingly line. So we have a priestly line and a kingly line. But then we have this statement about the Holy Spirit. And if we were to continue reading about the Zechariah story and that, that John the Baptist is like the last Old Testament prophet. He's like the link the, that brings together the old covenant and the new covenant. And he's, he's proclaiming now the Messiah has come. I think it's so powerful to think about, you know, what these women would have known about their family line and their heritage. And yet here they are carrying these very unlikely babies and that God is really doing something special in, in this situation. Yeah, I, I think it, it is good to think about that and to reflect on, yeah, that the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth and then she prophesies mm -hmm. over Mary. And I, I, I love to think about what you're saying because not because of anything that's special about these women, but what it tells us about God. And how he moves and how he acts and how he sees people. And yeah, Elizabeth was this barren woman. It was such a shameful thing in 
that culture in that time. And he uses her to bring John the Baptist into the world. The one who, like you said, is making the way for the Messiah. And, yeah. and then he sees Mary and, and uses someone like Mary. Again, not about, it. Th this is why it's so fascinating to learn about her because it tells us more about God and who he is and his character. And so, yeah, I, I, I love thinking about what you're saying and, and how the Holy Spirit picks these people. And it's the more you learn about the people, you're like, oh, well, <laughs> why did he pick her? Why did he pick him? Yeah. But he does. Why does he pick you? Why does he pick me? Exactly. He does, you know, so. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's go on to the next scene. Um, so Mary is down in the hill country of Judea with her cousin Elizabeth. And um, now where do we pick up the story next? Well, this is where in scripture, Luke records the what's known as Mary's song or the Magnificat. So there's Mary's response to that. And I don't know if we want to maybe focus on that later on. But yeah, I was going to that... circle back to that a little later. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we know that Mary remained. It says that Mary remained with her for three months and then that she returned home. So then she travels back to Nazareth at this point. So she returns to Joseph and we don't again, we don't get a ton of details, except that we know that I'm going to pull it up here. Um. So we know that Joseph now finds out that Mary is pregnant and we don't know how that goes down. We have no clue how yeah. Mary told him that, but we know that they were betrothed to be married. They weren't married yet, but in Jewish culture, what I've read and learned about it is that engagement was, was pretty much like they were married, that this was already a contract in a sense the agreement was made and so they're already even viewed as kind of married already and so um i'm going to pull up the scripture yeah we pull we we jump forward to oh you have it matthew okay, chapter good. one and yes. that that explains you know why it says that he has in his mind to divorce her quietly it's because even though they were engaged, there's sort of a some kind of legal thing that he's got to go through in order to get himself out of this situation. But that yeah. he, he didn't want to expose her to a, a public disgrace. In other words, he he doesn't want to um, bring the full force of the law against her that she's been unfaithful to the, to him. This yes. makes me think that he believes her story. Oh, interesting. Okay, so when I read this, I I think about how it speaks to, yeah, probably how highly he thought of Mary. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to disgrace her. So, but he wants, he's, he's planning to divorce her because she's pregnant. And so yeah. it just seems to him like, okay, well, I've got to divorce her because she's pregnant. I didn't do it. <laughs> And yeah, so, this makes me think that because of the clarifying statement here that he was known as being faithful to the law. Yes. This makes me think that this is a reference to 
he, he wasn't going to bring the full force of the Mosaic law to bear in this situation and bring her up yeah. on charges, which would be potentially, um, you know, a, a death penalty situation. Yeah, stony. He's, he's not going to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So his his plan is to like, look, I believe you. This is a crazy story, but I believe you. <laughs> but we're going to deal with this quietly and I'm not going to bring you up to the priest on mm -hmm. charges. That's kind of how I read it. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it's interesting to think about. And but we we certainly know he cared for Mary and didn't want her to be disgraced. Yeah. Possibly stoned to death if he would have brought charges to her. So, yeah. so as far as we know, Mary's told him, we don't know if she's told anybody else, but she's yeah. told him. And then we hear that after he's considered this, now an angel visits Joseph in a dream. And he says to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what's conceived in her is really from the Holy Spirit. What she's saying to you is true. She's going to give birth to a son and you're going to call him Jesus. And then it says, and he will save his people from their sins. Yeah. And so then, and then of course, Matthew puts in the reference to the Old Testament because Matthew wrote his gospel specifically to a Jewish audience. So they would have known these references that Matthew makes, which is, which is why it's, it's interesting to, like you brought up, Luke wanting to make uh, an account, a careful account. And Matthew's purpose in writing his book was to show the Jewish people, Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. So Matthew will constantly reference the Old Testament because his audience knew what he was talking about. So he references the Old Testament, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Yeah. And then it says, Joseph woke up and did what the angel commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So they did go through with the marriage, although they did not consummate their marriage, it says, until she gave birth to a son. So it's an interesting, you know, scene in, in this story of Mary to, to think about her courage to have to tell Joseph I wish we knew one day in heaven, maybe we'll get to talk to Mary about it. I wish we knew how that conversation with them went down. We don't, but we know that it must've been a scary thing for her to have to talk to Joseph about knowing what she was, she's very vulnerable in this situation. She is put in a very vulnerable situation, but God, sends an angel to Joseph so that he can take Mary as his wife with all assurances and trust that she is the woman she says she is, and he can trust her and he can trust God. So, yeah, I just, next, just, oh, I, I just wanted one quick observation and we'll go to the next scene, but I think it's interesting that the angel addresses Joseph as being from the line of David, Joseph, mm -hmm. son of David. That so clearly both Matthew and Luke want us to understand that Jesus is coming into a family that is directly connected to King David. And yes. I think that that's an important detail um, that might pass us by if we weren't paying attention. 
but yeah. it would have been known that that they were both from that that genealogical line so yeah yeah and if we grew up in the church like i did and you've heard this story over and over again you skim over it and you miss it yeah and i i realized through this study just how much i have missed and so again just to slow down and think about these different scenes is really good because it it tells us so much more about the story that I think we need to understand. Well, that was part one of my discussion with Aaron Kunkel from Maven about the life and discipleship of Mary. I really hope you're enjoying this deep dive. You know, our hope in doing this more extended conversation is to inspire all of you that this is what Bible study looks like. You don't have to have a bunch of fancy degrees. You don't have to have a ton of books. Just sit down, have the patience, look at the context, see what's happening, and ask good questions. You will get a long ways in your Bible study if you just take those very simple steps, and even better to do it with a brother or sister in the Lord, the way that Aaron and I are modeling for you in these videos. We really hope that this inspires you to do similar things. More women's Bible studies should look like this. Okay, uh, before we go, I do want to let you know more about Maven and the ministry that Erin and her husband, Brett, are um, have co-founded. It's really a ministry geared toward helping people who disciple kids. So if you're a child influencer, if you're a parent, a grandparent, a children's pastor, youth pastor, Maven has some amazing resources for you. And you're going to want to go check them out at maventruth.com. But they also have immersion experiences for students. As you can see right now, um, they're, they're doing their end of year fundraising campaign. But I want to let you know that their immersion experiences are amazing. They'll, they'll take the youth, you know, on a trip maybe to Salt Lake City, equip and train them in the Mormon faith, and then take them out witnessing. So they have wonderful trainings, immersive events, as well as conferences. In fact, their annual conference is coming up very, very soon um, after the first of the year. So go check out their their website, maventruth.com. Look at their conference, especially if you live California, Arizona, Nevada area. Um, consider making a way to come out to their conference. My friend Monique will be speaking there. You won't want to miss that. It'll be a good time. And with that, friends, we're going to come back next week with part two of the discussion with Aaron. I know we're leaving you a little bit on a cliffhanger here. We haven't talked about the Magi yet. We haven't talked about Herod. We haven't talked about Mary at the temple with Jesus or even Mary at the cross with Jesus so you don't want to miss out our continuing Bible study about Mary, the first disciple of Jesus. We'll see you next week. God bless.